Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cancer Specialist Medical Minute with Dr. Rick and Dr. Danny. I'm Rick. And I'm Danny, and we're excited to be back for another episode of Medical Minute. Rick, you ready for another dad joke? This is literally what I live my life for is to hear these jokes. Literally. <laughs> Do you know what kind of music planets listen to? Uh, you got me. Neptunes. Wah, wah, wah. Okay, I got another one for you. Here we go. Let me let me bring it back to the top here. What is a chiropractor's favorite music? Snap, crackle, and pop. Close. Hip hop. Oh, yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. That was a good one. That was a good one. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so, guys. What are we talking about today, Danny? Well, today's topic is pancreatic cancer, Rick. And pancreatic cancer is a unique disease. It's a uh, disease which we'll talk about a little bit in more detail as far as the a uh, little bit of history behind it, some of the signs and symptoms of pancreatic cancer. Brenna gave us some statistics here. So it's estimated that about 60,430 adults will be diagnosed each year with pancreatic cancer. This accounts for about 3% of all cancers. So it's the eighth most common cancer and the fourth leading cause of death. So although less common, it is a leading cause of death uh, in both males and females uh, as being the fourth fourth leading cause. So Rick, it's, it can be a devastating disease for, for patients who get this diagnosis. And uh, I know we'll talk a little bit more about how we both approach treatment. Do you have any specific, uh, you know, insights into this or some comments on it? Yeah. My first comment is, you know, I think like a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast, you know, I personally family have been um, affected by cancer and unfortunately pancreatic cancer as well. Um, my paternal grandmother passed away from pancreatic cancer uh, many years ago. So we got to see um, what you were mentioning with the statistics firsthand, kind of how it may not be the most common cancer, but unfortunately it is, tends to be one of the most lethal. And I will get into some of the reasons sort of, you know, why that's the case. But it's certainly, I think, a cancer that even most lay people are aware is, is a pretty devastating disease in a lot of situations. Definitely is Rick. And I'm sorry to hear that about your family. Um, you know, I think pancreatic cancer, it, it tends to be diagnosed at a more advanced stage. Uh, and, and that's why one of the factors that contributes to its poor prognosis, um, symptoms can kind of be quite vague, um, and kind of missed for other things. Um, you know, I think that some patients may present with some abdominal pain or, or, um, you know, pain after eating or potentially, uh, you know, a little bit of weight loss and may not have, you know, specific symptoms that point to a, a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Um, what's been your experience, Rick, with, with patients presenting with pancreatic cancer? What are the, some of the kind of clues into, uh, thinking about this in your differential when someone comes to you. Yeah, to your point, I mean, I think a lot of it, unfortunately, it's detected at a later stage because in general, there's not a lot of um, innervation to the pancreas that typically would trigger pain symptoms uh, mm -hmm. until the cancer gets to a significant size. So usually what we're seeing is either kind of just kind of vague abdominal pain symptoms, or if a patient is potentially a little more fortunate, sometimes the mass can block the pancreatic duct, 
which then can lead to things like jaundice, uh, which right. is yellowing of the eyes or yellowing of the skin or other signs or symptoms that would trigger a workup um, of that area. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's very, like you mentioned, it's a very variable presenting disease. You know, there's people who just come in with sort of weight loss of unknown etiology who then turns out it's all because of a pancreatic cancer. So it's a, it's definitely a tough one to diagnose. You know, I know that they've looked into screening programs mm-hmm. or things like that. And, you know, unfortunately, the because it's not the most common type of cancer, it probably, based on, you know, what they've shown is screening everyone for it doesn't really make sense because the incidence itself is relatively low. Right, right. And some of the risk factors for pancreatic cancer include um, smoking, although that risk is fairly small. Uh, increased BMI or obesity can contribute to a risk of pancreatic cancer. There are some exposures to chemicals, heavy metals that can increase your risk of uh, pancreatic cancer, as well as heavy alcohol consumption. And those patients who may have a history of alcoholism who end up with uh, inflammation of the pancreas called pancreatitis uh, do have a higher risk of pancreatic cancer. Uh, as well as those individuals with diabetes and, uh, you know, diabetes can be a risk factor for pancreatic cancer amongst other cancers. So these are some of the risk factors, although, you know, I've seen, I've definitely seen patients without these risk factors who, who do get unfortunately diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, and I think Rick, you're right in terms of the screening that we can do for this really, uh, I think the only thing that might hold some weight in screening would be doing like an endoscopic ultrasound, but it is, and it, it is a procedure. It's not a simple, you know, image that we do for patients. Um, like, you know, MRI imaging has been thrown out as a potential screening measure, but nothing's kind of held up as an effective screening for this. So I think, you know, being, uh, in tune with your body and, you know, picking up on subtle, subtle symptoms early and getting checked out, uh, especially if you have a family history, um, because this type of cancer also has a little bit of an inheritable risk with uh, patients yeah, who carry mutations. Yep. Yeah, I think it's like one, one in 10, they estimate, is associated with some sort of genetic predisposition. So yeah, certainly, yeah. you know, like for myself with a family history or others with a family history of pancreatic cancer certainly do not um, put to the side any signs or symptoms that you know could possibly be related to to such a thing. Right, and it seems with the risk factors, you know, how do we how do we prevent pancreatic cancer? Well, it's kind of leading a healthy lifestyle. Obviously, that's not going to prevent it in a in a majority of people, but it is you know it is something that can lower your risk of diabetes, lower your risk of uh, the effects of obesity, et cetera. So always a good idea. Right. And I think, you know, there's this, um, you know, these international guidelines getting back to the screening question and sort of Mm -hmm. prevention, I guess, too, is for high risk individuals. So, you know, first degree relatives, um, if patients with pancreatic cancer, known patients with certain mutations, um, like BRCA mutation, uh, P16, certain other clinical syndromes, those are the groups that really, you know, are the ones that I think we would all say should at some point have a screening, like you mentioned, EUS or MRI, mm-hmm. to just make sure there's nothing hiding because we'll get into it shortly. But, 
you know, if caught early enough, pancreatic cancer is potentially curable. The issue is just, of course, catching it early. Right, right. You know, I think catching it early does give really the the only chance of long-term survival. So catching it before it's spread to somewhere else in the body is really key here. Um, so, so do you want to talk about sort of generally, Danny, and I, or I can, um, mm-hmm. kind of how you approach when we look at pancreatic cancer from maybe a localized, smaller disease, maybe a lo- more locally advanced disease, and then maybe how do we, how do you approach, you know, pancreatic cancers that have already left the pancreas and spread to other areas of the body? Yeah. So when, when I learned in fellowship, kind of how to approach a patient with a new diagnosis of pancreatic cancer was looking at one, are they uh, a surgical candidate or not? And that's kind of determined based on how, how the tumor is sitting in the pancreas, where in the pancreas is the tumor. And, um, is it, is it, next to major blood vessels or even wrapping around blood vessels, which uh, may make surgery not a, not a good option for a patient. So you kind of decide up front, is the patient a candidate for a surgery based on the location of the tumor and, um, and whether it's involving blood vessels. What does the pancreas do, Danny, in a normal person? Well, in a normal person, the pancreas uh, really aids with digestion of food. So there are cells within the pancreas which produce enzymes, which helps the body break down food uh, into energy that we need to you know, help our body function. Um, there are also other cells which produce hormones, and these hormones have a variety of functions in the body, um, you know, things like insulin and and uh, glucagon and those type of things, which help regulate blood sugar. So it has a lot of very important functions. And I think it's why sometimes, you know, when, a, when we'll get into this a little bit, but if a patient has surgery to their pancreas and it gets removed, you know, they're almost most likely going to have diabetes because as you mentioned, one of the major endocrine functions of the pancreas is to regulate insulin levels in the body. Correct. Yeah. When we're approaching a, a new diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, again, we're we're looking at where the where the tumor is located in the pancreas, how big it is, what are the structures around it, and is the tumor growing into those structures, and that really determines whether the patient is a candidate for a surgery or not. So, we we first need to determine can we do a surgery safely based on location and size of the tumor. Um, and then it, it's best to have these discussions in, in, a, uh, in a room with surgeons and radiation oncologists like yourself, Rick, where we can come up with a plan all together on how to approach the treatment, because it really does take uh, all three of us, sur- surgeons, radiation oncologists, and medical oncologists to, to treat patients with pancreatic cancer. Um, now, there are some times, and I know, Rick, you're going to be surprised by this, but they may not need you. They may not need radiation oh, treatment. Colon. So he kept That's correct. <laughs> and I hear Dr. Tanzler in the background again. She really yeah. wants to be on this podcast, doesn't she? Sorry, guys. This is what happens when we try to record in the middle of a clinic I, day. I know. I just So determining whether a patient uh, whether a patient's a candidate for surgery is is what we first uh, make make our decisions on, on next steps of treatment so if if it's a small tumor and it doesn't look to be next to any vital structures a surgeon a surgical oncologist uh, may bring the patient directly to surgery and, and remove the tumor 
Um, a lot of the cases though we see are patients with a little bit of a larger tumor, maybe close to blood vessels or other structures which make a, a surgery um, upfront kind of difficult and, and more risky. And so we, in those cases, decide on uh, giving patients some chemotherapy prior to surgery and sometimes incorporate radiation therapy as well. I agree. So uh, these patients, um, you know, in the past had been using chemotherapy that was um, sometimes just a single agent chemotherapy. There was some recent data that come out that actually shows a combination of chemotherapy drugs uh, by an acronym called Fulfurinox um, can be more effective and, and potentially lead to more cures in the long run. And so we typically use this combination chemotherapy uh, either before or after surgery um, in patients with pancreatic cancer. So yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I like to break this down, as you know, kind of big picture. Yeah. So the, the first, like you mentioned, the first step is, is this someone that can go to surgery? So, you know, medically, is the person healthy enough? And then the second piece being, is this tumor resectable with, with a good chance of removing it all? Um, and I think the reason pancreatic cancer is so devastating is even if it's diagnosed early, you know, there's still a high risk that there could be microscopic cancer cells hiding elsewhere in the body. So the role of what you do with chemotherapy is vitally important because what you're trying to do is minimize the risk of new sites popping up outside the pancreas. So that's why, to your point, it's given before or after surgery, you know, I think, mm -hmm. correct me if you feel differently, Danny, but I think the push nowadays in general is even if the tumor was upfront resectable, I still think, you know, there'd be strong consideration to giving the multi-agent chemotherapy first and then following it up with surgery on the back end. I mean, I know there's, there's other ways to do it with the surgery first, but, um, you know, I think that's kind of where I would recommend most patients go. I mean, unless it was just truly a small little tiny spot they could easily right. remove. Right, yeah, no, I think I think nowadays um, what we call neoadjuvant or preoperative chemotherapy is what we do for most patients, as long as they're healthy. You know, you pointed out kind of what's the health of the patient before, and usually it dictates whether they're a surgical candidate, but. Um, you know, we like patients in good enough shape for surgery and chemotherapy. You know, there are some overlapping, um, you know, kind of assessments that we do to determine whether patients could could handle the chemotherapy and could proceed with surgery. So, um, but yeah, I think in a majority of cases, we're doing it preoperatively just because or before surgery, because then we can kind of see one, if we can shrink down the tumor a little bit. Uh, but two, also try to prevent or kill off any cancer cells which may have snuck off from the pancreas and, and are trying to travel elsewhere in the body. Exactly right. And to your point, you know, the role of radiation certainly has changed um, over the years. I think, you know, my role now would be really in a situation where preoperatively the patient got chemo first still was potentially a surgical candidate, but the surgeon felt maybe adding some radiation prior to surgery would increase the chances of them removing all of the tumor. 
Um, the other times that, you know, usually radiation gets involved in the mm -hmm. definitive setting is if the patient has a surgery and there's a positive margin or residual disease or high likelihood of residual disease, and they've already completed chemotherapy and there's no other areas of disease, I think mm -hmm. in those situations you could, could consider um, giving radiation to where the pancreas used to be. Yeah, I think, you know, what the summary kind of for how we approach uh, treatment nowadays is that a majority of patients will receive chemotherapy if they're a candidate uh, for treatment. Um, and that's either before or after surgery. But as Rick said, we're leaning toward giving chemo before surgery in a lot of cases. And, um, and that holds true too for patients who, unfortunately, if you're not a candidate for surgery, um, you, we usually do start out with, with chemotherapy to try to shrink the cancer and try to prevent spread. Um, but, you know, just to kind of reiterate the only cure for pancreatic cancer, um, with the exception of some outliers and rare cases, it's going to be surgery, uh, and chemotherapy. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's certainly, you know, a lot of interest in my field of, can we give, you know, higher doses or more biologically effective doses of radiation to the pancreatic cancer? So there's a lot of trials looking um, at this and, you know, certainly some exciting results um, in certain patients. But, you know, those are really only going to be for situations where surgery is off the table, either because the patient isn't strong enough to get the surgery mm -hmm. or the disease is too advanced to be removed. I saw a really rare case in fellowship, Rick, where I, it wasn't a patient I treated, but I inherited the patient and uh, the patient had, I think, uh, locally advanced pancreatic cancer, meaning it was in the pancreas and probably in some lymph nodes and patient got chemotherapy and uh, ended up having a really nice response to chemotherapy, then got radiation treatment to the pancreas and I think the surrounding lymph nodes and then was cured of pancreatic cancer. I've never seen a case like that before. Yeah, I have a, um, probably two patients that I can think of that couldn't get surgery that we've given, like I said, kind of that more aggressive, ablative level radiation dose that are mm -hmm. um, several years out with, knock on wood, no evidence of, of disease coming back or new disease popping up after right. the chemotherapy and kind of more aggressive radiation. So I think it's, it's one of those things in the future we may, you know, find there's a subset of patients that are potentially curable, but the bottom line is, as, as you know, usually, and it, it does happen, but the usual form of cancer recurrence for pancreatic cancer is distant. So outside of the pancreas, there are patients that do recur in the pancreas, but the majority of right. recurrences are outside of the pancreas. And that's what makes it right. such a lethal disease. Well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about um, some treatment advances lately uh, in pancreatic cancer. Unfortunately, from the medical oncology side, there haven't been a lot of advances. One of, one of the advances, though, um, is targeting uh, BRCA mutations uh, with a drug called Laparib, which is a PARP inhibitor. And this is now FDA approved to use uh, in patients who have stage four pancreatic cancer, who have completed chemotherapy and, and still are having a nice response that you could use this oral medication, which is only really effective in those patients with uh, BRCA mutations. Um, 
and you can give it uh, as a maintenance to try to maintain the remission to extend patients' lives longer. It's not a curative treatment, but it does, I think, lengthen survival and um, it's fairly well tolerated. So that's one of the advancements in the recent year or two that's come out. Um, otherwise, you know, there are some targeted therapies that have overlapping indications, uh, but we're talking mostly, most of these therapies are used for patients with metastatic disease or stage four cancer. And um, it's, it's a really low percentage of patients that have uh, certain targetable uh, changes in the in the DNA that we can target with, uh, with drugs for pancreatic cancer. So, um, you know, I think a lot of progress needs to be made so that we can hopefully, you know, cure more patients and also, you know, lead to better overall survival for these patients. Completely, completely agree. I'm back. Hi. He's back. What's back happening? Again. We were just Dr. talking about, so, we were so just talking about how we block their schedule, how we block your schedule and it's never they, blocked. I was going to say, Brenna, did you see what happens when you block my schedule? It really yeah. is blocked effectively. <laughs> the, I swear the, to God, I block it. I swear to God. The block gets blocked. That's what happens. It's like, yeah, right. All right, Rick, I think we covered a lot of, a lot of good information on pancreatic cancer and some uh, good things for our listeners to look out for and some information on, on the diagnosis and some of the overviews on treatment. Um, any final thoughts you have? No, I think we covered it. I mean, I think it's one of those diseases that, um, like I said, is obviously on the minds of a lot of lay people as well, just because they know it's one that if you have it, it's a very, you know, unfortunately can be a very deadly disease. So I think it's just one to be aware of the different signs and symptoms. And certainly if you are worried at all with any of the things we mentioned, you know, don't hesitate to, to contact your doctor and get, get it looked at further. All right. Thanks so much, guys, for coming back and joining us for another episode of the Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, or you just want to say hi, please email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media and search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. As always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, and we hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And, and tune, tune in, in next time. <laughs> I had a feeling the digital version of this would be a little tougher. Turn your cameras on to do it real fast. Oh, I don't my, have a camera. My laptop's not up. I can't do it. <laughs> I don't have a camera. And All right. tune in next time. All right, try again. Right. Just the last And remember, part. when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And, and tune, tune in next time. <laughs> You're going time. too slow. <laughs> I'm not going slow. I'm going at the pace we normally do. All right, I'll slow it down. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions and, and tune, tune in, next, in time. next time. We need to look at each other. <laughs> <That's the problem. laughs> just, just try it one more time. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions and, and tune, tune in, in next, next time. time. All right, that's fine. <laughs>